You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am seven years in sobriety and addiction recovery. Today is seven years. Seven years ago today, I started this journey. Well, (laughs) uh, for those of you who've taken coaching from me or have talked to me in the past about uh, ways I like to use auditory anchors to pump myself up, um, then you know that Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue off their Dr. Feel Good album and Body Rock by Moby are two of my favorite songs to listen to pre and post coaching session and just any time I want to pump myself up. And so I just got done listening to those. I've also added in a song by um, Ferry Corsten called Yes Man. So I listened to Yes Man into Kickstart My Heart into Body Rock and then immediately flipped on the microphone. I even closed my drapes on my window in my office. Not that anyone could see in, but just in case, because I was dancing around like a bit of a numbskull. Oh, uh, no, it was beautiful. I wasn't a numbskull. It was absolutely a, a, just an expression of happiness, of uh, passion for what I've been able to uh, achieve in my life in these seven years. Um, there's so much, so much I want to share with you. It is 11.01 on Saturday, January 13th. So I would have been in my apartment on Coenca Boulevard in Hollywood, California. I would have gone into work today into 25 degrees at the Hollywood Roosevelt. Um, Friday, what that means, I would not have been the opener. Ron, the person I shout out at the end of the show, shout out to Sunshine. Ron Rico Davis was the very first person I ever told that I was going to be sober for the rest of my life. I walked into 25 degrees. Um, I was the 6.30. He was the 6 a.m. So I walked in and just went about my business as usual. And then he came over and asked me how I was. Um, and I just looked at him and I was like, today is the day. And he's like, what? what? What's today the day of? I was like, today is the day that I begin the journey of sobriety. I was like, I will never drink alcohol again. (laughs) And I'm sure it was different words than I just used. Um, But the look on his face, and I think he finally saw the seriousness in my eyes. And I had been calling out all week at work, so he was not really sure what was going on with me anyways. And so went throughout the day and just explained it to him. And he was the only one who knew for some time other than the people at Kaiser. And so the yesterday, which would have been the 12th, was one of the most painful days of my life, waking up in the bathtub covered in my own filth and calling Kaiser and saying, I need help. And so many ways I thought I would experience my rock bottom. So many times I thought I had. And then for it to just be very spontaneous, like that's it. I I can't consume alcohol anymore for at least seven to 10 days. My body's going to need to go through detox. So let's just go into a rehab and let's let's just not do this anymore. I cannot wake up like that again. And here we are, seven of these things later. (laughs) And 
it is not lost on me how fast it feels like it's flown and how oftentimes it felt like it was dragging along. And that's just life. And for those of you who might be at minute seven or hour seven or day seven or whatever your timeline is, and you're wondering to yourself, what will life be like at year seven? Um, What I've done with mine isn't necessarily what you'll do with yours, but certainly over the last seven years that I have gained a tremendous amount of clarity around me and why I behave the way I do, um, why I handle my emotions the way I do, and by no means have I completely been able to journey through all of the past programming and negative thoughts um, the spiraling, all of that stuff. It's part of the human condition, I believe, to have those times where it just seems like we just get in our own head creating our own stories. And certainly, you know, I'm still experiencing that today. It's part of the journey. And I think when I first got into this, I thought, oh, well, I'll figure all this stuff out within like a year or two, and then I can just go on cruise control. And just, you know, go about my merry way. Um, <laughs> how naive of me uh, to think that there was like a solution for humanity. <laughs> I can just, what do you mean? I just can't turn off my, all of this stuff going on inside of me. I have to continue to experience it. Uh, and I suppose I could just tr- figure out a way to go about things like I was a robot, but I just don't feel like that would be uh, behoove the version of me that I seek to become. So what we're going to discuss today, and I've thought about this a lot. I've thought about this a lot. What would I discuss today that could have the deepest impact on you all? Uh, What would be the most enjoyable thing for me to share? And I kept going back to my second therapist at Kaiser, Melissa, and she was absolutely amazing. And the growth that I was able to achieve with her, the things that she was able to expand my mind around, um, still benefit me today. And what we're going to cover is what I affectionately called my triumvirate of sobriety and recovery. And that was the gratitude, humility, and integrity that she taught me to really seek to step into. And I've talked about this before. In fact, I didn't go back and find the old episode, but somewhere out there in my archives is a whole episode just on integrity, humility, and gratitude. And I prepared no notes for this. And all of this is just going to come off the top of my head because I felt like the more I tried to write or think too deeply upon this, the more it just seemed like the noise in my head got in the way of what I believe would just be the more spontaneous way of sharing this with you. So we're going to go with spontaneity over preparedness, <laughs> which which for a long time listeners, you know, is probably really generally just my <laughs> modus operandi regardless. Um, and so some of the things that I have been pondering about when it comes to uh, the humility, the integrity, and the gratitude. And uh, I want to start off with the one that I've been putting the most thought toward over the last few weeks, months, and then that's been humility. When I first got sober, 
um, I was very excited about it. Like I was the I was the person in the meeting who you'd have thought just got like a, the brand new Nintendo and a bicycle, and found out Santa Claus really was like his next door neighbors, like all of it. Like my enthusiasm for Sobrain Recovery was, um, I was told it was annoying by people in the meetings that I was attending. <laughs> And I was fine with that. And I was just very much into Jesse 2.0. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe that this has always been here. Like, I feel exuberant, ecstatic, all of it. The first six weeks, of course, I barely could eat and drink and hold down water or food. And I was still sweating buckets um, throughout the night. But there was still an enthusiasm that I was embracing with this. Like, okay, let's see where this can go. It's like I finally shed my skin. I, I came out of the the cocoon and was now this butterfly who was still forming, still figuring out how to use his wings. But at least he finally realized that all that time in the cocoon was for something. And I remember asking Melissa countless times, will you be my therapist? Will you be my therapist? And she's like, no, I no, I just, no, stay with Daniel. You're good with Daniel. I just don't think you and I would, would not be the best client counselor relationship. Um, as time went on, it came more and more that it was really my attitude that I was lacking the humility, the gratitude, and the integrity, and she just thought that we would conflict and that ultimately I would find her to be a very beneficial counselor. And it was one night when they showed a video about nutrition and I had been studying a ton of stuff on nutrition. I was about six, seven months in at this point. And I thought I was just like the encyclopedia on nutrition. And so when it was done, um, some people voiced their opinions, beliefs, and whatnot around it. And then she's like, Jesse, I know you got an opinion about this. And I went off on like this 10-minute diatribe. And no one really seemed to even care what I had to say, let alone wanted to listen to it and all that jazz. And when everybody left the meeting, I sat in there just very deflated. Like I had worked so hard on my own body to figure out my nutrition and my hydration and all this stuff. And I just wanted to share it with everyone. I wanted everybody to start eating healthier and drinking more water and working out. And when I asked her, I was like, what just happened there? I was like, because I just want to help. I, I really genuinely just want to help. And I don't understand what I'm doing wrong that nobody seems to want to listen to me. And she's like, Jesse, you just come off as someone who lacks humility. And I'm like, I don't understand what that means. I'm not bragging. I'm not being a dick about this. I just simply want people to drink more fucking water. <laughs> she's like, Jesse, you have to meet people where they're at. She's like, there are people in this meeting who have been sober off of heroin for three days. Getting on to them about how much broccoli they, they've eaten is not meeting people where they're at. Like, you come out of a fucking rocket, and you have all this enthusiasm, and that's great, and that's awesome. I was like, but to people who are still going through what you are going through at day three, seeing you and, have, and hearing what you're saying, it's not helping. Because you see, they, what you're experiencing seems so far away to them that at this point, if you just encourage them to drink one more 12-ounce glass of water and got them to do that, it would be groundbreaking. And being put in my place in that moment has never left my 
frontal lobe. I, I, I hold it close, the idea of meeting people where they're at. And I get that on this show sometimes I can get very, very excited. Just looked at the clock. It says 11-11, make a wish. Um, I get that I can get very enthusiastic. And a lot of people resonate with that. They want that. And other people are just like, this dude's a fucking idiot. I'm, I'm out. And, you know, to each his own. I am me. And in my first 50 to 100 episodes, I very much thought a lot about how this might land to the masses. And then I just realized that maybe it just won't ever be the masses kind of show. It'll just be for those who want to hear this message. And when Melissa began to direct me in these group sessions on how to embrace humility and gratitude and integrity, she saw a change in me very quickly. Um, I took on what she said. I acted upon it. I began to not mute myself, but just understand that how my message could be, <clears throat> excuse me, how my message could be uh, not even manipulated uh, to just be, there's a volume that I can come off as. And she's like, you know, you have the ability to be enthusiastic with those who want enthusiasm, but you could also be a lot more compassionate and empathetic in those moments when that person really just, that that's what they need. And I realized that when you meet people where you're at, you create connections. Instead of trying to thrust upon my perspective of reality on someone, I can simply listen, be there, share my way, but realize that there's a lot of different ways that I can share. And when she finally did take me on as a client, and we really dove into this idea of integrity, humility, and gratitude, humility is where she started because of just my overall persona, my energy. And now here we are at seven years, and I've got a very perspective on humility. See, the version of humility that a lot of people think of is like this concept, this relation to being braggadocious, being extremely prideful. Uh, But there's a lot of nuance to this. And we could get philosophical, psychological, hell, we could just get into my own personal development around this. When you think about humility, what is a picture that comes to your mind? What is a thought or a feeling? What are words you attach with that? Pretty frequently, it could be this idea that if you're humble, if you have humility, then you have this quality of modestness, not necessarily a low view of oneself, because that's not necessarily the opposite of being boastful or arrogant, having a low view of yourself. It could actually be more thinking of yourself less. Right? You're not thinking of less of yourself, but you're thinking of yourself less, meaning that you're just not always egocentric. You're not the center of the universe. You know, like Narcissus uh, back in Greek mythology, sitting there staring at his reflection in the pond, and then he falls into the water and drowns himself. Right? That's where narcissistic comes from, by the way, Narcissus from the Greek mythology. It could have been Roman mythology. I'm not a mythology expert, but I definitely remember parts of that story. (laughs) And um, when we think about being humble, right, I think about not rubbing my success in other people's faces. I think about 
being mindful of how I present myself. I want to celebrate my sobriety. I want to celebrate my life, but I also don't want to do it in such a way that it seems like, you know, I'm putting together a perfectly choreographed touchdown celebration dance in the end zone um, because I've, you know, scored a four yard touchdown uh, with the biggest offensive line in the world, right? It's this idea, like Steve Spurrier of the Florida Gators used to say, uh, champions act like they've been there. Florida Gator fans don't storm fields. We've won championships. We have Heisman trophies. We've shaken our stadium to the core with our celebrations, but we do not storm the field because we've been here before. This idea that we can celebrate ourselves and also understand that there there is sort of a governor on it, that we are happy about what we've done, um, but we're not do, we're not celebrating in a way to make other people feel less than. We're celebrating in a way to make sure that we feel as deeply as we possibly can into this moment and enjoy it for the hard work and the dedication that we have put in in order to achieve this moment. Right? Are you following that? Right? It's not like, yeah, I got seven years. Suck on it, losers. You all should have started on January 13th, 2017, too. But you didn't, so you're behind, and you're never going to catch up. Right? Like, <laughs> fuck talks like that. Right? Like, I mean, look, I love me some football, and I think that the dances they do in the end zone are absolutely awesome. But you don't need to turn around and slow down as you're running to the end zone and, you know, wave goodbye at the person. I've watched more NFL players, even college players, but definitely NFL players, has their, like, they, they're breaking away. If they would just maintain their speed, no one would touch them. But they slow down. They put the ball down by their legs. Some of them even freaking drop it before they cross the end zone. But inevitably, it was sometime during the weekend, someone will have a breakaway touchdown, and they'll slow down enough that the person chasing them actually gets to them and is able to like push them down as they're going into the end zone. Now, that's not that big of a deal. They still got the touchdown. I'm thinking that you're both running at about 15 to 17 miles an hour, and somebody shoves you down. You could get injured. Or you could just maintain your speed, cross the damn end zone line, dance around with the rest of your teammates, but you don't have to be a dick about it. And I think that's what I, when I think about humility, that's part of it. This idea that we can win, but it's not as if we've got to rub it in somebody else's face. Because a lot of times in life, us winning doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else lost. It just means that we put forth a great deal of effort in this particular time. We cross the finish line first. But tomorrow, we could be the person in second or third place. And this is metaphorical places because not everything in life is a competition or a race, right? If somebody else, uh, let's say I was on a sales floor at, at selling cars and somebody else sells a car, doesn't mean that I'm a loser because I didn't sell a car. They were talking to that customer. They sold that customer a car. I very well could sell the next customer a car. Or I could sell a car in five days. But either way, their winning doesn't mean I lost. And in Los Angeles, that's what always grinded my gears about that city, is that people felt like if you got a role for a part, that means that they somehow lost. They didn't follow this idea that there's room enough in this world for everyone to succeed. If you got a role then that meant that was that they didn't get the role. And therefore, I mean, I would literally watch people get angry or get bent out of shape because somebody else got a role 
that this other person wasn't even qualified for. Like if the role is literally calling for like a five foot person with different colored skin than me, a different gender than me, a different accent than me, and they go and they get that role, like why am I going to be pissed off about it? You know, I don't fit any of the criteria. And I've walked into many a different audition with a lot of people who look similar to me. And I did get some and I did not get some. And it didn't mean that I was better than that other person. Who knows what intricacies and nuances caused the casting director to pick me over the other person or not pick me. But either way, their getting the role did not mean that I lost. It just meant that that was not my day. And there's a lot to be embraced about this idea that, you know, some days it's our day and some days it's not. Now, where I have been growing my idea around humility for a little while now, um, and I've been thinking about it more than I've been talking about it, so it's going to be very interesting for me to articulate this really for the first time. Um, while some of my coaching clients have heard little slivers of it, I haven't really articulated it out as a complete idea. So this will be the first time that I try to do that. Okay, so this is where it's coming from. Lately, over the last couple months, I have had this thought ruminating inside my head that life is humbling, that I am being humbled by life right now. And some of the reasons that this has been popping up for me is that, you know, we bought this house um, back in May, and there's a lot of responsibilities that are coming from it financially that I was not prepared for, that um, I had not made contingency plans around, and so that I have been really struggling with finding the time to dedicate to upkeeping the house, to renovating the house, to being able to afford these renovations, right? Just sort of jumped into this with this star, starry-eyed look on my face, and it's been a surprise, to say the least. Um, as well as the while the business is doing good, you know, I would say that it's probably doing better than it's ever done. Uh, it's still not quite to where I would prefer it to be. And so there's been a lot of ruminating on past behaviors. Uh, there's been a lot of regret. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, sort of whipping myself over things that I've done now that, of course, in hindsight, seem very obvious. But at the time, I always believe in the moment I'm doing what is best to move my business, to move my sobriety and recovery, to move the needle forward. Uh, in hindsight, it's always going to give you a clear vision of what you should done because you've already done a bunch of stuff, and now you're looking at the results thinking, well, this isn't what I thought it would be. Again, expectations, leading cause of disappointment. Um, and so you, you tack that on to it. Um, I've recently, and I think this is the first time I've articulated this to anybody. I have not even told the tribe yet because it really just started. And I think I wanted to uh, just try to put all the puzzle pieces together on this one uh, about how the most recent decisions that I've made with my life are going to play out. But when I left Los Angeles, I was hell bent on leaving the service industry behind. And unfortunately, or fortunately, and this is where we're going to get into this humble thing. And in fact, this whole freaking episode might just be on this one part. But um, I've gone back to the service industry. And I have basically gotten hired on the spot at two different places um, here in Huntsville. And I've got another place, if not another two, that 
um, in effect, hired me on the spot. They just have to jump through a few more hoops to make sure that it's going to work out. I have to jump through a few hoops to make sure it's going to work out because I'm going into school and I'm putting about 30 hours a week into it. And now I'm looking to dedicate um, roughly about 20 to 25 hours to two different jobs. And it'll be mostly serving with the potentiality for the bartending. Although I'm not doing this for the fun, I'm doing this for the money to help get me out of debt, to help cover some bills, to help pay for future bills that I know are coming. So it's really like, how can I take 50 hours out of my life that's already super busy and now turn that attention towards waiting tables again? And it's been very tough. And this is where this whole idea of like, wow, life is really humbling me right now, right? I thought I was going to be able to come out here, not go back into the serving world and just fully take on being a speaker, a trainer, a coach, an author and all that jazz. But you know, uh, when your income is one thing and you really want your income to be another thing and you're working really hard at what you're currently doing to grow it, but you need something to happen and shift immediately now, what are you going to do? Right. This is, this is the, this is, God, this is so hard. I'm not even thought about how to articulate this. See, this is where I, I want to feel that gratitude because I am blessed that for the better part of 20 years, I fine tuned and honed a skill so well that I can walk into any establishment in this city and be hired on the spot. Like they see my resume and they're like, dude, when can you start? I mean, literally the first place I went into was like, can you start tomorrow? I'm like, I could start two days from now. All right, cool. Start two days from now. And after less than eight hours of training on the floor, they were like, yep, you're good. Just start taking your own tables. You're going to have to learn the computer. Obviously you got to figure out where the buttons are, but you don't need to know how to serve. You don't that (laughs) you just need to learn the computer, go learn the computer. And so like today was my first day uh, when it was busy uh, all by myself. And I spent a lot of time staring at a screen trying to figure out where buttons were, but the rest of it I'm great at. So I'm grateful that old Jesse set himself up in a position to never have to feel like there's not a way to immediately start to provide a little bit better for myself and my loved ones, right? Like I know there's a lot of people in this economy struggling. And a lot of people are like, man, I really wish I could have a side hustle. I really wish I could go off and get a serving job. Or I really wish I could go off and get some kind of job where I get tipped. You know, just to bring in a little bit of extra cash. And here I have a skill that it'll never go away. Like it's muscle memory. So there's gratitude there. I used to tell my sister, still do, that we are blessed to have a skill that pretty much dictates that we will never not be able to have a job. Now, do I want to be, you know, waiting tables and bartending at 74? Not necessarily, but if I had to pick a job to do at 74, you know, standing behind a bar, making martinis for people, I'm not the worst thing in the world. And I get, and <laughs> Richmond even said this, he's like, isn't there like some sort of hypocrisy going on if you're standing behind a bar making people drinks while you're also running a sobriety and recovery uh, program, you know, whole company? I'm like, I mean, it's good lead generation, I suppose. Um, you know, you I worked at that hotel for the first five years of my sobriety and recovery. Um, you do what you got to do in this world, and you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. But when I started to say things like, man, life is really humbling me right now. Like, I really thought that I wouldn't have to go back and do this. This is the part of humility that's starting to, to really expand me. How can humility exist if we don't have expectations 
about an outcome. Think about this. How can humility exist if we don't have expectations about an outcome? If I say life is humbling me right now, well, what's humbling? That I'm back in the serving industry part-time, figuring out a way to expand myself financially so that the things that I want to achieve within my business are more attainable without me going into debt. Like, it's a gift to have this skill. It's through a lot of hard work and perseverance, I cultivated this skill to be able to do this. So what's humbling? The humbling part would be the fact that what? I thought I was better than this. That I thought that I'd never have to go back to this. That going back to waiting tables and bartending is somehow a step backwards. Is that what I feel like life is doing in order to humble me right now? Because if that's the mindset, then that's not having gratitude at all for the fact that I have a skill that's widely sought after that allows me to be able to immediately be able to bring um, a bit more stability and feelings of control into my life, right? The integrity part of doing what is right even when nobody else is looking, right? So that's that part where it's like I could sit here in my office and be upset with the finances. I could be upset with this, that, or the other. I could figure out ways to do this, that, or the other in order to grow the business. And certainly I am doing all of those things. I mean, I'm not getting my master's degree to become a therapist because I got nothing else to do with my time. Like I absolutely see how the path that I am creating right now is leading me somewhere. So what part of all of this is humbling? If I don't have expectations for how I think life should be, if I don't think that I'm better than something, then how could it be humbling me? Because other people who found themselves in a similar situation who were like, man, I really wish I had a little bit more stability financially, really wish I felt that I was like a little bit more in control of what was going on in my life. just If I could just pick up a little side job, that would really create that foundation for me to, that would allow me to propel myself to where I seek to go. Now, if there's lots and lots of people saying that, and there is in this day and age with, you know, price of eggs one day, $8 and gallons of gas the next day, $4. Then if I just said, wow, this is a blessing. I feel blessed right now that I am in a situation where I can go off and find a couple different jobs and cash infuse my business, pay down my debt, provide for my loved ones, and be able to move forward on my uh, seeking of my master's degree. Like, that's pretty fucking badass. So how is life humbling me? And why am I choosing that lens? Oh, this is so humbling. Oh, this is so humbling. And I do. I'm not going to say that I have completely come out of the woods on this. Right? Did pretty well at that job today. Pretty pretty decent money on the hourly side of it. Right? But it's like I leave and I get in my car and I just sit there and I'm just like, man, frick, 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 frick. You know, it's like, then my brain starts wanting to ruminate on all the things that I could have done that I'm trying to do now. You know, this, that, or the other, build the business, build another program, get another 10 speeches, all this other stuff. Right. And it's like, okay, of course, hindsight being what it is, but it, it, it's, it, it makes me want to get angry at myself. And I said this in a Dharma meeting recently, I was like, I thought I would be further along by now. And when I say that I thought I'd be further along by now, it's not financially. Um, it's not with my career. It's not like, you know, um, I thought I would have, you know, this Ryan Reynolds body. When I say that I thought I'd be further along by now, it was, 
having more self-awareness around why I feel the emotions that I feel when I feel them and why I talk to myself the way I talk to myself when I talk to myself. Say that 20 times fast. Humility can't really exist if you don't hold on so tightly to a life that you think you should be living instead of embracing the present life that you have. For me, I can sit here and whip my own ass over the fact that this, that, or the other isn't the way that I want it to be right now. But if I look around and really embrace the gratitude, then I realize that I'm, I'm getting to walk around in this pretty awesome office you know, that's got tons of space for me to create all the things that I want to create. I got a really awesome couch. I've never bought a couch before in my life sitting right outside my office with a pretty big screen TV that I can go out there and watch my football games with. I got this cool little walking treadmill underneath my standing desk and I've got multiple exercise bikes in here so I can maintain my steps. I've got, you know, um, a very loving girlfriend who supports me the way she supports me. Could I have uh, varying degrees of acceptance around the way that she supports me? Absolutely. In fact, I've done that last episode on being supported based off how my family and her support. Like, yeah, there's a way I would prefer it to be, but it's not that way. I have expectations, leaving cause of disappointment about how I would like to be supported. And when it, it doesn't come that way, and I'm not even sure I know how to articulate it. I think I just make it up in my head as I go along. Well, right now, this is how I want to be supported. But tomorrow, that support might look different. <laughs> so, how is anybody supposed to know how to support somebody if they're changing their mind as fast as that wheel on The Price is Right goes... Right? It's like, how is somebody supposed to know how to support you when we're not even really sure what kind of support we're looking for? Or we're afraid to ask for the support? Or the person just literally is not able to do everything that we want them to do? I mean, they have their own life after all. Right? And it's it's not lost on me, the hilarity of this conversation that I'm having with myself, but at the same time with you. That when I think about um, support, and like today's today's year seven. I mean, it's a big deal. And I purposely didn't talk about it a lot uh, other than on the show and with any of my loved ones. So unless they were paying attention, then they wouldn't have known to say anything today. So when it was all said and done, um, the only people who wished me a happy soberversary today were the people in the tribe and my clients. They were the only ones who wished me a happy soberversary who weren't not instigated for it. Um, By the end of the night, um, as I was listening to the Chiefs-Dolphins game on the radio, um, I texted my old SIGAP brothers. We got a text thread together and sent them pictures of it, uh, of my hours, days, weeks, months that are kept on this app called Nomo. And um, then I sent it to my brother and my dad, and I sent it to my sister. Um, and then that instigated them all to say congratulations in some regard, which was nice. Um, but it's not like these people have this on their calendar. Nobody knows. And right now I'm wearing a shirt that, um, that says nobody cares work harder. And one of the reasons that I wear this a lot in my office is as a reminder that nobody really cares work harder. Um, and when I say nobody cares, people care. But it's not like they're sitting, staring at a calendar waiting for all your awesome anniversaries in life to pop up in order for them to celebrate you. People live their own lives. And when we first get sober, 
right? When I first came out about this, when I went to the Grateful Dead shows at Wrigley Field, it was celebrated that I was sober. It was so exciting. People were texting me. It's like they they very much knew then that I was sober. And I was getting text messages so much. I mean, just random people coming out of nowhere. I'd post something about it on Facebook. If I were to post a picture of me right now holding up a sign that said seven years sober, I probably could get... 250 people to say congratulations on it. And that's awesome, right? That's it's like, yay, people said congratulations because I told them. Um, one of the things I remember when I used to coach people back in college, because I've always done this coaching thing, is I, or I would coach a lot of people, um, oddly enough, um, coming out of the closet part of the LGBTQ community. And I just, I knew a lot of gay people in college. And so they would come out and then they would come to me and they'd be like, you know, it's like everybody was super happy for me when it first happened, but now it's just sort of like, it's not a big deal. It's like, now I'm just, you know, gay David. And why is that? Like, I thought that this was a bigger deal. I was stressed out about it for so long. And I remember having conversations with the, with all of them uh, over long periods of time. And it was, it came down to this idea. It's like, you came out, everybody's happy that you're happy that you did this now. But as like, in the end, nobody really cares who you have sex with. Nobody really cares who you marry. Nobody really cares that you're sober. I mean, they care, but it's not like their life sets the sun and rises on your sobriety or your sexuality or your career choice or how much money's in your bank account. In the end, we've all got 14 million things that we're juggling and we're seeking to figure out in our own lives. And yes, we're empathetic and we're compassionate and we're loving and we really do care about a lot of people. But in the end, we're in our own mind most of the time worrying about ourselves. Nobody ever was really paying attention to how you looked, even though you were constantly self-conscious about it. Nobody really was paying that much attention. And those who pay an exorbitant amount of attention toward you and your life and what you wear, how you act, or what you do, this, that, or the other, those are the people who probably could be spending a little bit more time actually thinking about themselves. (laughs) And so I tell you that story because I realized that, you know, at some point, Sober Jesse just became the normal. That the idea of drunk Jesse seems so far distanced away that, yes, people will send me confetti and they'll say nice, beautiful things. But at some point, it just becomes the new normal. And I think that can be tough for a lot of us because we work so hard at our sobriety. And for those of us who get into the personal development side and we work really hard at all these things and we know what the struggle was like, the countless lapses, the numerous relapses, the arguments, the beating ourselves up, the looking at our bank account and having nothing, and then a year later having something, and then a year later having nothing again, having the job of our dreams and then getting fired from it because we showed up wasted, and having a job that we hated that we stuck it out with because at least we could get away with being high or hung over while we were there. Like we were front row center for the insanity that the addiction took us down. We were there for it. And we remember the challenges that it took in order for us to achieve short-term sobriety, long-term sobriety, addiction recovery. We were there experiencing it through our own eyes. Everybody else was just watching it happen. Even if they were in our same house with us, they weren't inside of our heads listening to the mental gymnastics we were putting ourselves through on whether we should use today or not. 
They weren't privy to it. Even if we tried to articulate it to them, at some point, it's going to get lost in translation. They're just not going to get it. Even if they've experienced addiction themselves, they won't know exactly how you're experiencing it. So when we journey and we get deeper and deeper into the sobriety and recovery, who we are now just becomes how these people see us. But we can look in the mirror and a year in, three years in, seven years in, we can still just be so fresh and so happy with who we are because we know what life was like then. And had we kept doing the crap we were doing then, who we would be now. But now we aren't that version of ourselves then. We're this version of ourselves now because of all the hard work we have been putting in day in and day out. Yeah, I would love nothing more than you know a 4th of July in DC type fireworks display to be going off in my backyard right now. But in reality, for everybody else, it's just Saturday, January 13th. That's what I mean by nobody cares work harder. It's just a day. And yes, my friends will say nice things and we will all throw ourselves confetti and celebrate it. But at the end of the night, it's us putting our head on the pillow. Us doing a review of our day, our week. So how are we going to internalize it? Are we going to see the beauty in the work that we've done? Are we going to manifest the life that we currently are experiencing inside of our heads into our external reality? Being humbled by life is a perspective, and it's subjective to all of us, just like I've been saying for years. Everything is subjective perspective. It's so subjective to our perspective. Life can't humble us if we don't have expectations about what we think life is supposed to be. How can I be humbled by going back into the service industry if I didn't think at some point that I was better than it or that I had graduated or moved on from it? Nope, I'm good. I did that. I no longer have to go back to that. And if I and then I told myself when I I remember leaving the Roosevelt that day, I was like, "That's it, man. You were saying goodbye to this world." I was like, "If you ever end up back at a place like this, then you did something horribly wrong." And now I look at my life now, and there, I wouldn't say I did anything horribly wrong. I'm not upset we bought a house. I'm not upset I started my master's school. I'm not upset that I spent the last two years dedicating my life and my energy to growing my business, to helping others, to becoming a CRSS, to speaking at countless addiction recovery places and and business places about mental health and wellness. I'd say I've done a pretty, you know, great job in as much as what one human being can do, given the capacity for (laughs) rest, relaxation, the need for food and sleep once in a while. Horribly wrong was get pouring myself into a 300ZX time in and time out for five straight years. Horribly wrong was, you know, feeling like I'm having a heart attack and being like, I know the answer to this. It's more cocaine and ketamine. That was horribly wrong. What I'm doing with my life now, I don't know why I ever told myself that. And that's what I have been battling. And it's, it's not humbling unless I choose for it to feel humbling. And so that's my 30 minutes on humble. Because I think for a lot of us, we might, again, mind reading here, because I don't have you all in front of me, but we begin to seek out a life that we desire. And we put a lot of effort into it. 
And I mean, if I wanted to, I could rattle through every single person in the tribe. Every one of us, you know, six months, a year ago had this idealized view of what we would be able to achieve. And now here we are, and parts of it have been achieved, and other parts maybe not so much. So is it really humbling? Or is it just an opportunity for us to say, wow, look how far I've come. Let's be content in the moment, but let's also be ambitiously discontent and say, you know what? I know there's more inside of me. I know there's more inside of me. I know I haven't completely sprinted this out hard all the way. And that gratitude, right? The difference between gratitude and thankful, we don't need to get into that, but it'd be like, thank you for bringing me the soda. I'm grateful that you care so much for me that you want to help me, right? There's that. Thankful is like, I thank you for a particular action, but I'm grateful for the entire scope of work, like I'm thankful for uh, the heat being on in my house today. I'm grateful that I've created a life with my girlfriend and I where we're able to have an amazing house to live in. Right? I'm thankful that she made enchiladas tonight for dinner. Uh, I'm grateful that she supports me in the way that she knows how to support. It's not always the way I would prefer to be supported, but it's the way that she knows how to support. And I can ask for different varying ways of being supported, but she doesn't necessarily have to comply. She has her vision of reality, and I have mine. And we can all be grateful in the uniqueness that is this amazing humans. And we're going to have ebb and flows in all of our relationships. But being angry with somebody today doesn't mean we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It just means it's like, okay, that's how today is. That's how this moment is. It's like whenever I've taught uh, childhood development to parents before, I've been like, you know, when you get, when you scold your child for dropping the glass, it needs to be very much relayed that they're not a bad kid. They just did something bad. And we don't even necessarily label it bad. It's like, you just dropped the glass, you spilled milk all over the place. You're not a bad human being. You did just, you just did something undesirable. Because we can get it locked in that when somebody disagrees with us, somebody gets on to us, somebody uh, rejects something about us, that, that somehow means that we are less than of a human being. When it just means in that moment, we did something less desirable than the person would have preferred. There is a humility that can come from just realizing that no one's going to accept every little intricacy of us that they're going to have their own ways that they would prefer life to be, just like we're going to have our own ways we would prefer life to be. And again, preferences are expectations, and expectations are the leading cause of disappointment. And I'll get us out of here on this because I feel like we're at 45 minutes now, and and somewhere I'm sure there was a lesson to be learned in this entire thing, and I'm absolutely positive that you got it out of all that rambling. Um, I love how I like to label it rambling. And then whenever I go back and listen to it, I'm like, yep, that sounded pretty freaking coherent to me. (laughs) But of course it's going to sound incoherent to me. I am able to fill in all the gaps about the things that I don't say because it's my mind that created all this to begin with. So uh, go feel free to hit me up at jessemogul.com slash ask me and let me know what you think about this. Fill out the form. F- give me some feedback. I know I'm not on Instagram very often, but I do check the messages. And so if you would like to go over to Instagram at jessemogul or at from sobriety recovery, you can leave me messages. Um, just DM me. Let me know what you thought about this episode and any of the episodes. And if you really want to get long-winded, I created a whole email address for y'all from sobriety to recovery at gmail.com. 
Um, that's not my business one. That is literally just for this podcast. So I go in there and I check it a couple times a week to make sure that I keep up with any emails that I get. So if you'd like to reach out and give me some feedback on the ramblings of a madman enjoying his seventh birthday, then you now have options. And as always, if you'd like to know more about what I do, jessemogul.com slash ask me. Um, it's fantastic when I hear from you all. In fact, I got one today. Um, and I think one of the coolest things that came from that, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't say it verbatim, but he's just like, it's really great to know that somebody else thinks the way I think and that I'm not alone in the way that I think about my sobriety and recovery. And you're not alone. You're not and whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or forever and ever that you ever reach out and let me know that you have been listening for years, you know, one of those longtime listeners, first time callers. Um, I know that this show has had a great reach. I can, I mean, Podbean tells me the reach. Spotify lets me know of my reach. Um, I know that it's benefiting a lot of you out there, and I'm blessed to have you on my journey as well. Seven of these things. And am I always doing what is right when no one's watching? I certainly hope so. I certainly have enough self-awareness to say, yep, that wasn't good. It's really easy for me to know if my behavior is crappy or not (laughs) whenever I act out in front of my girlfriend. Because there'll be times I'll go up to my office and be like, yep, we need to do an after-action report. What just happened? Why did you get upset? Why did you turn to yelling? Why did it turn into, you know, talking over one another? Let's figure this out and not do that again. Because we're seeking to progress, not perfect our relationships with ourselves, with our with others, uh, the whole gambit. There is nothing as perfection. It is all progression. And am I doing what is right even when no one's watching all the time? No. No. I certainly put a great deal of effort into doing what is right, uh, even if I don't even care if somebody's watching. You know, picking up an aluminum can that I see on the side of the road, putting it in the recycle bin or (laughs) little random little things. It's like it matters to me how I perceive me more than it matters to me how others perceive me. And there's a lot that I want from this life. That's really been my anchor for the last seven years. I want more. Not necessarily like more money or fame or glitz or glamour or Aldo shoes or watches or anything like that. Um, right now I'm holding in my hand, aside from this deck of cards that I've been shuffling for the last 47 minutes, I'm holding my seven-year chip in my hand. And um, in Los Angeles, in West Hollywood, there is a 12-step store, and that's where I always got my 12-step stuff. That's, uh, that's where I always got any of my, my keychains and my chips and all that stuff. I would go, and I'd go to the store, and I'd get them. Well, I live in North Alabama now. I'm nowhere near that store, but they do a humongous online sales, and I don't have any affiliation with them, so I'm not getting any money for saying this company's name, but if you are looking for um, paraphernalia that has to do with being sober, I'm pretty sure it's called the 12-step store, but it's located in West Hollywood, I believe on Santa Monica Boulevard, and so if you go onto Google's and you type in the 12-step store, um, Los Angeles, California, you it will pop up, and they will mail you a bunch of cool stuff, and so last year, I decided, because I wanted the free shipping, 
<laughs> if you spent like twenty dollars, they give you free shipping. If not, it was like twelve bucks for shipping. I don't know. It was it was enough that I had this idea, and this is what I did. I went ahead and bought my six year, seven year, eight year, nine year, and ten year chip. And they're not really chips. I mean, they are medallions, but they're on a keychain. And then I will take it off this keychain and I'll put it on my necklace. And so each year I take off the previous year and I put on the new year. And so now I have my keychain medallions until I hit year 10. And I've got them in my closet in this nice little box in the little baggie that they mailed them in. And I don't touch them until it's that year's turn. And so now I'm holding year seven in my hand right now. And it's like all day just sort of felt a little blah about this. Like, you know, uh, I didn't wake up to any cool text messages. And, you know, I had to go work at the restaurant. So that already was, you know, sort of a kick in the shin um, considering. And so I was just sort of like, yeah, it's just, it's just whatever it is. You know, it's like, it's just another day. Um, then I opened up Voxer and the tribe sent me confetti and that immediately brought me joy. And then some of my clients sent me personalized text messages and brought me even more joy. Um, and then I came into the office to shoot this podcast episode after writing a couple essays for the degree. And I went into the closet and I pulled out this chip. And it's like the moment I put this key ring around my right middle finger and just started looking at it while I was listening to Yes Man by Ferry Corsten. I mean, just joy overtook me. I grabbed a turtle from the motorcycle trip back in 2012 off of the shelf and started dancing around with the turtle, uh, which has always represented mom to me because I took this turtle on that 12,000 mile trip and, and put the turtle in all the pictures. Tortet is the turtle's name. And in case you guys were interested, I'm sure you were definitely wanting to know that. Um, Tortet, because it's a tortoise, and my mom's name is Lynette. So I combined tortoise and Lynette and made Tortet. <laughs> uh, which now that I say it out loud a couple of times, really close to tortilla, but <laughs> Tortet. Um, so I'm dancing around with Tortet. Holding on to this medallion, listening to Yes Man by Ferry Corsten, into Doctor, into Kickstart My Heart by Motley Crue, into Body Rock by Moby. And now I've just got done doing 53 minutes on my seven year soberversary. And, um, you know, this is one of those episodes now, whoever made it to the end, um, where this, I should have maybe said this at the beginning, this is really more of a diary episode. <laughs> Uh, it's really going to be more conversational, but I, I I feel like you got something from the humility one, because for me, realizing that life can only humble me if I have expectations about what I think life should be, right? The job it can't humble me if I don't think that I'm better than the job, right? I can't be humbled by something that I don't have expectations around, or I can't be humbled by something that I don't think that I'm better than. When you hear the football players say, yeah, we were really humbled by that team. You know, they beat it. They gave us a whooping. Well, it's because you went in there expecting that you would win. and Instead, you got your ass kicked. Now, of course, everybody wants to expect that they'll win, but they also have to really look at themselves in the mirror and say, okay, well, today wasn't my day. It doesn't necessarily mean that life humbled me, it could also mean that life taught me some really awesome stuff. But if I'm so hell-bent on seeing it as a humbling moment, maybe I'm missing out on the learning moment, right? There's a lot to be grateful for in our lives. Waking up in a bathtub covered in your own piss, shit, vomit, and blood, and then somehow now, seven years later, having this life that I have, it was with great 
work and diligence and discipline and taking action and courage and tenacity that all of this was able to come to fruition. And I am by no means near the end of this journey. I don't even know what mile marker I would put it on if it was a marathon, right? What if I live to be 86 years old, right? Well, I'm only 47 right now. If I live to be 86, I've got 39 more years, 39 more years, two people, a person could be born, graduate high school, immediately the day they graduate high school, have a baby who then graduates high school and then immediately has a baby. And then that next baby would be three years old by the time I was 86. That's like a lot of life. (laughs) So where am I at on this journey? I have no idea. Am I blessed to be on this journey? I absolutely am. Have I been humbled? I will say without a doubt that I have felt humbled by life on many occasions because I did have expectations about how things would be. And they necessarily or unnecessarily have not achieved that, have not become that. That's why I've been doing those expectations leading uh, cause of disappointment. It was my own expectations that I was placing upon myself and on my life and on others. And then I was being disappointed that they didn't come out the way that I imagined them in my mind. Well, we make up some pretty awesome stuff in our brain to expect reality, you know, this external place out here to paint all of that stuff inside of our brain perfectly outside into our life is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not possible to have every single little thing. Even if I was like, I want to be a millionaire and own boats, and I also want to have fresh hot Chick-fil-A delivered by Uber Eats to my house every day. The Chick-fil-A is not going to show up hot and delicious. Somebody had to make it, then they had to put it in a car, and then they had to drive it to your house. Sorry, it's going to lose some temperature along the way. See, life ain't perfect. Even Beyonce and Taylor Swift can't have hot, fresh, delicious Chick-fil-A delivered to their home. It's going to lose some temperature. Even they have to suffer a little bit. (laughs) So wherever you're at in your journey, may you embrace humility. May you embrace gratitude. And may you embrace integrity. Realizing that we are not perfect. We are humans. We are progressionists. We are on this journey together. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober because we know what it's like to wake up into the depths of despair and the hell, to look at ourselves in the mirror and be disgusted by the person looking back, to continue taking the drug, to taking the alcohol, to cutting ourselves, to abusing ourselves, to hurting others in order to fulfill a void inside of us that was never going to be quenched by the monster within. It was only going to be found by seeking something beyond ourselves by thinking less about ourselves as being this ego-driven, must-have-everything, gimme, 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 instant gratification, lack of impulse control, I must have it now, person into this, let's ground it in, let's breathe it out. It's not thinking less of ourselves. We don't have to think less of ourselves. We're not looking to think less 
about ourselves in, in a derogatory term. We're just looking to think about ourselves less often. We don't have to think about ourselves derogatorily. Just maybe think about ourselves less often. That's why I love doing what I do. That's why no matter how much the struggle can feel like a boa around me sometimes, that I realize that you know I'm doing the universe's work over here. Some would call it God's work. It's been called a lot of things, but it, it, it fuels me. And somewhere out there, you are supporting someone else, that, that, that you are the one that they can lean on. If more people said, how can this person lean on me right now? How can I help them? Then we would probably feel the reciprocation even more so from others around us. We figured out a way out of the fire. Now we go back into it with buckets to help other people out. Whatever you do in your life, realize that we are so much greater than just ourselves. The person looking back in the mirror, the stories we tell ourselves, the beatings we give ourselves, the mean things we say to ourselves. Let's dance in the joy of the sunshine. Let's get out of the shade. We can thrive. Fuck survive. We can thrive. All those years, all that time spent thinking that the answer was at the end of that straw, at the tip of that needle, at the bottom of that shot glass, experiencing life looking up through the bottom of a bottle in a clouded haze of smoke and angst, anger, and resentment. Inside of ourselves was a resilient version of us yearning to be free, pounding its way out like a Michelangelo with David. Inside of us, it was always there. He said that about the David statue once. He's like, how is it that you carved that? He's like, I didn't carve it. It was always in there. I just removed the stone so that you could see it. We were always in here, guys. We were always in here. We just had to remove all the layers of stone all the layers of negative emotions, all the trauma and all the suffering and all the stories we told each other, the more and more and more we remove those things, the more we see our own version of David within ourselves. It's in there. And it's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of chiseling. And sometimes you're whacking the fuck out of that hammer and chisel, breaking off big pieces. And other times you're in there with a tiny little file, getting into the crevices, making sure that you've got that detail down just the way that you want it. That is the amazing beautiness about life. We're never really sure what we're supposed to be doing in the moment that's going to get us to where we're wanting to go. Like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing in the moment in order to get me where I want to go? It's it's the answer I have right now. (laughs) And hindsight will be way clearer because we get to experience the results and then tear ourselves apart about them. (laughs) I say we celebrate the results. 
knowing that they were never going to be an exact replica of this inner thought process, of this inner daydream we had created, but it's going to be a hell of a lot closer to what we had in our mind externally experienced by taking steps forward than it ever will be by just sitting in a chair and daydreaming about it all the time and putting no effort into finding it, into creating it, into chiseling it away. Taking no action will get us no closer. Unless, unless, unless the action is to jump into a river full of sharks and alligators. Then, if the goal is to not be eaten by sharks and alligators, then yes, not moving is a great idea. Otherwise, I generally say, take the smallest next step. You'll be amazed at what you'll be able to achieve and how much stronger you are and resilient you are than you give yourself credit for. All right, my friends, that's the end of this little diatribe. Thank you so much for being a part of these. It's been amazing. It will continue to be amazing. I started this show roughly five years ago, right around January 1st in my soberversary. I'm pretty sure my very first episode, the second or third episode was like my second year in sobriety and recovery, pretty sure. Um, So you have been with me for the last five years. It is a blessing to be a part of your journey as much as it is for um, you to be a part of mine. I don't have to have met any of you to know that I love you. And I will enjoy doing these for another year, two, three, five. I wonder what episode 5,000 of From Sobriety to Recovery will be like. Hmm. Maybe I'll start planning that one now. Nah, I'll just make it up as I go along like I always do. My friends, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Shout out to Robert. Glow on. I will see you next time. Much love, everybody. Be amazing. Go out there. Splendidly crush life. It's waiting for you smallest next step forward. I can assure you, if you need support, you know how to find me. Talk soon. Bye-bye.